0: Hey folks, welcome to 149 of 1% Better, and I am delighted that you're here. Last week's episode, in the intro, I mentioned that I have a spare copy of a book called Time to Think by Nancy Klein to give away to a listener. All you got to do is send an email to rob at robofthegreen.ie, subject time to think, and say why you want to win it and you'll be in the draw. And also, if you could, tell a friend about it, not about the book or the competition, but about the podcast. And maybe if they then sent an email in, they'd be in the draw as well and could win this book, time to think, very useful for coaching, for self-development, yourself and your teams. And what would be cool maybe as well, if that person or other people sent a WhatsApp around to their one of their many groups to say have you heard of this podcast one percent better have a listen and some random people from that group then send the email in as well and if you do send in the email send in where you heard the show and the more that come in the better I will be doing a draw for that at the end of next week so for episode 150 a milestone one I'll More than likely read it out at the start of that. If I forget, it'll definitely be 151, which will be the wrap-up of Season 4. Sorry, Season 3, which is coming in the next couple of weeks. Season 4 will come a little bit further down the line, if you know what I mean. So, this week's episode is with a chess grandmaster, Ireland's only chess grandmaster as things stand. His name is Alexander Boborin. And he, uh, as the name may suggest, he's not naturally from Ireland, but he's been living here for a number of years probably 20 years or so. And he's a very, very interesting story of how he became a chess grandmaster. And this one is definitely about chess, but you don't have to know too much about chess. You'll learn a lot about chess in it. You'll learn about a national master, an international master called an IM, and then how to get to a grandmaster, a GM. And the approaches. Alexander took to become a grandmaster. And a lot of this came from a book I read just before Christmas, Bounce by Matthew Sayed, where they talk about hard work versus talent and the myth of talent and that anyone can become an expert in any field if they do the ten thousand hours but not just cranking up those hours, doing it in a very deliberate way, which is a brilliant book. And I kind of put some of the questions from that book to Alexander and probed a little bit there and learned so much about chess. I can play chess, but I'm not great at it. I know how I could get better now with some of the stuff Alexander shares. So if you're a fan of chess, you'll get lots out of this. But if you're interested in habits, personal development, and approaches taken to get to that top level, you will definitely enjoy this one as well. So I shall leave it there. Enjoy the podcast 149 with Alexander Baboren, all about chess and being a grandmaster and how you can be a grandmaster of anything if you potentially want to. Enjoy. Enjoy. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of the 1% Better podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hey folks, welcome to 1% Better, another week, another episode, and another topic that I have been looking forward to talking about in depth for a long time, um, but haven't had the opportunity until now, and it is going to focus on chess and I'm talking to Ireland's only chess grandmaster. His name is Alexander Baborin. Alexander, welcome to the podcast Good morning, and I am right in saying you're you're still Ireland's only grandmaster
1: uh yes, that's correct, but hopefully that will not be for too long
0: yeah, well, that's one
1: uh, the- of my former students is getting very close to uh Completing his quest for for the title, so hopefully he will be joining me soon.
0: Very good, cool. We'll uh, we'll double the amount in Ireland. That's always good. So, Alexander, thanks for doing this. And I guess when I was reading a book over probably late in December, a book called Bounce by a gentleman called Matthew Zayed. Have you heard of it? No, no. um So he was a world class table tennis player, but now he's a journalist. He's from the UK and he talked about uh, the the 10,000 hour rule. I'm sure you've heard of that.
1: Yeah, I came across uh, that recently uh on my Facebook page. Uh somebody asked me whether I was 10,000 hour grandmaster. I didn't really know the connection to the uh, any book, but I kind of sensed what what it was all about, so kind of hard work versus maybe versus talent. Uh, yeah. maybe, in addition to talent, so, but basically kind of uh, the amount of work you may need to put in
0: very good, yeah, so he he, he didn 't come up with the term ten thousand hours he d- definitely wrote a bit about it. There was another guy called Malcolm Gladwell, I think that had a lot to do with the ten thousand hours, three hours a day over ten years to become i guess master at whatever profession, whatever uh, activity sport that you might apply yourself to and and they did talk about chess in the book, and he mentioned. The three Palgar sisters, have you heard of the Palgar sisters?
1: Oh, yeah, I know them, yeah.
0: Yeah, um, he mentioned the three of them and that their father basically had them playing chess from a very young age and coached at them and developed them. and They all became grandmasters, I believe.
1: Uh, two of them did. One of them uh, was very close to getting that title, but she kind of stopped playing at that stage, so... Uh, two of them became, uh, kind of f- fully fledged grandmasters. Uh, in, in chess, we have, uh, this kind of title which goes back a bit, which is, uh, women grandmaster. Okay. Uh, that goes back to the time when women were considerably weaker uh, at chess than men. So to encourage their participation, there were kind of separate titles, uh, titles in, in, um, kind of invented. Uh, of course any any lady can uh, get a you know kind of f- full title like international master or grandmaster. So we are talking here about the full title. so two of the sisters they are grandmasters and one is international master.
0: Okay have you played any of them?
1: I play them uh, only in friendly games. I was um, in Budapest sometime in the night I think it was probably late 80s, maybe early 90s, and um, met their father at the uh, Hungarian Chess Federation. And he invited uh, me to their apartment because he was going to do a little uh, friendly tournament with uh, a few visiting players and uh, the three, three uh, sisters. So we played a little competition. We call it Blitz, so five minutes per game. And before that started I played a Blitz match uh, against the elder sister.
0: Okay. Very very good. Did you win?
1: Uh the I forgot the result of that match. <laughs> <Okay>.
0: <laughs> I think she destroyed me now. Actually <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting. Cool. So so that's where I suppose when I was reading the book and I've always had an interest in chess, I did a bit of research to see if there was anyone in Ireland, and this has brought me to you. So I'm really looking forward to talking to you about your, your career and you as a as a grandmaster. Um, so let's go back to the start. When did uh, chess become something in your life? Maybe talk to me a little bit about the early stages and, and how it became uh, a passion.
1: Okay. Um, well, I grew up in Russia in this big city called Nizhny Novgorod. At that stage, it was called Gorky. The city is located about 300 miles uh, east of Moscow. Um, I was uh, an only child in the family, both parents working. And uh, sometimes uh, an elderly relative a lady would look after me. So when I discovered chess at the age of seven, approximately, I felt it was a godsend because it was just really helped me to kind of pass time. I, uh, started playing, uh, with my dad. Uh, so he was the one who taught me the rules. And shortly after that, uh, um, a woman came to our school and she started a chess club. I joined and, uh, quite quickly realized this is what I really liked. And I was reasonably good at it. And, um, started kind of reading books and uh, competing in tournaments and I think a few years later probably three or four years later I was seriously hooked on chess so I was traveling um, in Russia to different places to compete in tournaments
0: Mm. and in those early days what sort of going back to the 10,000 hours idea how many hours a day were you playing chess and how quickly did that start to kind of ramp up
1: I uh, really hard to tell looking back, to be honest. I mean, uh, I think we may tend uh, to exaggerate sometimes how much time you spend on something. Mm. I, I really don't remember. I do know I spend a lot of time. Uh, looking back, I don't think uh, most of the time uh, was spent efficiently because uh, most Most young players, they don't really know what to do. You know what, how to spend their time on something they like. So there, there was, there was some structure because I had a coach. uh, But nonetheless, sometimes you spend just too much, too much time. Sometimes just playing friendly games, which is okay too. But uh, I, I wouldn't say that it was all kind of structured study. Okay, and it's hard to put a figure. I. I mean, there could be days when I would do absolutely nothing. There could be days when I would be kind of, you know, spending a lot of time, you know, all available time on on, on chess. I would say maybe, how to say, maybe ten hours, plus a week, something like this.
0: Okay, and it's interesting. You you mentioned the kind of structured play, or what, what probably I would call deliberate practice in a way, where you're mm-hmm. you're you're not just having free form games and You mentioned a coach. Was it when they came along and how did they kind of structure your play and what were, uh, I suppose, the scenarios maybe that they would put out? How does that work?
1: Well, um, I mean, when uh, when you decide to spend some time on chess, you know, consciously or maybe even subconsciously, we just like in case of a child who likes to do something like playing chess, you do it and you want to – to do more of it, uh, the question is, I think, uh, how? What is the best use of that time? What do you do in that time? Okay, mm. in chess, it's not really just about playing because you're playing, uh, say, in a competition. Mm. That of course is a lot of time, but it's what you do outside of it counts uh, for a lot as well, maybe more. Uh, so, what do you do? between games before the game before the competition things like this so say um i have uh, a competition coming up and i have say for argument's sake three weeks Mm -hmm. okay and i can designate certain time each day uh um for studying chess so then i need probably need to plan what i'm going to spend that time on should it be uh my own games should I study my own games? Should I study games of my opponents so I can understand them better and be prepared? Should I look at some opening plays, maybe something what has been uh, discovered lately in practice, or maybe learn something new, like new opening? Um, I could study end games. So it's kind of concrete knowledge, something like, you know, Sort of kind of studying for exams in a sense, but not quite like that. Okay. Or I can be uh, studying chess tactics. So there are different topics you can, uh, you can study in chess and uh, how much time you designate to each topic. Uh, what topic gets uh, more weight? That is a difficult question. Uh, junior players, uh, children are often not, uh, experienced enough uh, to to answer that question correctly so this is where the coach kind of comes along and can advise you know you should pay attention to this you should do that you know you're weak at this therefore you should kind of try to cover this area of your game so this this is uh, um, that was actually kind of very useful in my case because i had access to one of the leading players in our uh, region and he helped me a lot
0: Hmm. interesting. How did your focus on chess around the time, you know, growing up have an impact positively or negatively on your schooling or your academic career?
1: Uh That's a good question. I spent a lot of time uh playing chess. Often enough, it was eating into my school time. So, like competitions could be held during uh, the sort of uh, school year. I Never had a problem getting a leave of absence from our school. Uh, generally, schools were supportive of chess. The, the school administrations they were kind of viewing this as something very positive. I was a very good student, I must uh, say, and um, in a way, chess kind of helped me because you 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 have to plan ahead. So I remember one particular instance. I was going away. And, um, I uh, for maybe like 10 days or something like this, at least a week. And I knew that, uh, we were about to start uh, examining, uh, war and peace by, uh, Tolstoy. So what I did, I just took all three volumes with me. There was a, the book was in three volumes. So, you know, thinking that it would be useful. So I have a bit of time, uh, on the way I can read uh, during the journey to the competition and back. So I came back. I finished the book. I was, you know, completely ready and they only just started volume one. So in a sense, chess was actually uh, good for school because it kind of, it taught uh, planning. It taught discipline. So I never had any issues uh, with um, like leaving and missing quite a bit of, uh, um you know school days so was never an impact on my on my study
0: Hmm. i read as well when you were growing up swimming was another passion of yours
1: yeah that was actually even before chess i started swimming at the age of six and um around seven i was nine i was a seriously good swimmer but then i had uh well it wasn't an injury but something kind of which stopped me from uh pursuing it further but yeah i did a lot of swimming
0: the reason i brought that up i interviewed a good few people that are swimmers have swam in olympics and things like that the this was the link between swimming and maybe chess is that there's a serious level of maybe focus and concentration and almost kind of a meditation type approach to it to be in the moment, present all of the time. W- would you would you see that sort of link? And I'm um, I'm very interested in concentration and how you maybe develop concentration. You know, to have a better focus through through the practice.
1: Um, well, I think it, in in chess, maybe in other sports too, it all comes uh, from the desire to win and do your best. So it's not something you kind of uh, consciously do. You sort of. You have a goal, and you know that in order to achieve it, you you have to give it your best. Uh, The the system maybe kind of shuts down, and you just focus on what you're doing. You know, you Mm -hmm. you 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 probably know this expression: you're in the zone. And Mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, I I felt it uh, in chess too that you just kind of completely forget about everything else, and you just you know play the game, and nothing else actually can bother you um i wouldn't say this is the normal uh condition for me and i don't think it would be normal for anyone but uh you you get various degrees of that you know that you're 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 able to sort of concentrate because you want you want to to win so um yeah i agree swimming is kind of meditation i in a sense i remember like during uh, training, you just do lapses and you just kind of try to think about something, you know. Um, and uh, I think in in that sense, chess is much more interesting because it gives you uh, more kind of stimuli, and you 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 know there are things happening around you more than I like can. Uh, swimming, I always thought was a rather solitary activity. You know, you just like the water yourself and you just do your your, your your bit in chess you have interaction uh with opponent you have you know certain distractions in a sense i think uh chess suits me much much better than swimming hmm.
0: interesting so at what point did you start to think i'm actually pretty good at this and and maybe started to kind of take it more seriously and start to to start maybe setting goals and ideas of becoming an international master or chess master? When did that start to come along?
1: Um, I actually didn't. Um, I, I just played, I liked the game. I tried my best. Um, I never really thought it would be my career. I like most uh, teenagers. I didn't really know what could be my career. I was just kind of, living my life alone, and, uh, you know, was quite happy about this. Uh, Apart from um, chess, I was quite uh, involved in basketball. That was my other passion. So I was reasonably good at that, too. So we had a team, and I would travel to competitions with that team and uh, would have training um, twice a day. So it was kind of – it was taking a lot of time as well. I had school studies. Um, I had chess. I just, you know, I just lived my life. I didn't really think that I would be, I, I thought maybe that I, I might be a, a, a you know, full time chess professional, but not quite seriously. Um, uh, first time I thought about this was, um, uh, maybe around the, uh, time I was 20 and I had to make a decision. Uh, at that stage I uh, was studying um, at university and I had I had to make a decision I, I had an option of taking a sort of step back from studying and doing a kind of evening courses and concentrating on chess and getting uh, some kind of a ST pens, uh from the uh, army chess club. And that was a big, biggish decision I had to make. And that's that's probably the first time I thought that this might be something I uh, would do in the near future. And I took that route. And a few years later, the borders opened up and people in the former Soviet Union were able to travel uh, abroad more freely than ever before. And I started competing uh, internationally, and it kind of coincided with great changes with, uh, within the country, and uh, it really made me think that pursuing, for example, a diploma in, in physics, this is what I had been studying, uh, that perhaps wasn't the best cause of action uh, I Quit university. I um, enrolled myself into a college of foreign languages. Uh, I wanted to learn at least, uh, at least, a, a, you know, something uh, uh, about English. So I mean, I started uh, learning English, and um, and that was another kind of step. So I, at that stage, I think I was. I must have been 20, 22, 23 around that time. I kind of started thinking that maybe chess is something I'll be doing, you know, for foreseeable future. And, uh, but it wasn't like one decision I made early in my life. It was sort of a series of moves, uh which led me in that direction.
0: It just was interesting with, with other factors or as, the environment changes or opens up it kind of brings you into different directions but you're obviously good enough you're obviously a strong player and as i was doing the research as well I, I wasn't aware of the difference between an im or an international master and a grandmaster can you maybe talk to us about how how the the ranking system works and how you started to maybe make uh, moves up the ranking towards the the gm role okay
1: uh, yeah, uh, we have a kind of a structure, uh, well established uh, structure in chess. Say somebody starts playing chess, maybe, say, a teenager, and you play and you're reasonably good and you like the game, you improve, and you get what's called a rating. And the rating uh, rating is a number which goes up if you do well and it goes down if you do badly. And it kind of depends what a position you are facing. So you if you're doing uh, very well against really strong a position, that number goes up uh, dramatically. So basically if if you go up and you probably start somewhere around like at the moment 700, this is the lowest. But if you are maybe 1800, say in Ireland, 1800, you' are reasonably you know good player. Uh, if you go above 2200, 2200, you are considered a, a national master. I, I believe that's the case. But you're not, you wouldn't be recognized internationally. To be recognized internationally, you have to have international rating. It's kind of a similar thing, but just uh, uh, obtained in international tournaments. And if you go to 2300, uh, it entitles you to get a title, uh, a feeder master. FIDE feeder is the international body of governing chess and International Chess Federation. So you get feeder master title. It's not particularly prestigious or anything like this, but it's kind of a useful uh, measurement in a, in a sense. So 2300 is a, a pretty strong player. Uh, if you go above... And your rating goes to 2400, and you compete uh, in competitions and you fulfill some criteria. Uh, it's a bit technical to explain, but basically you need uh, two or three good results in kind of certified tournaments of certain level, not just any tournament. Then you uh, and you have your rating of 2400. You uh, you will become international master. That's a title which is for life; it cannot be uh, taken away. Um, and it's it's a title I found quite easy to obtain because uh, uh, the first two tournaments I I played abroad, I got that title, so that was kind of came easy. Uh, becoming a grandmaster was rather different. It, it was a big step. Uh, there was a sort of there is a big gap between those two titles, to be honest. So, uh, grandmaster title you need a rating of two uh, thousand five hundred. Again, you need two or three certified results. Well, getting those wasn't easy. I got one, the first one, in the very first. Uh, tournament where when I had a chance, so I got it. I thought you know it was kind of coming easy again, but the getting the other uh, two in my case wasn't. It took me, I think it took me about five years. The, so these are called
0: these are yeah. called norms, Alexander. Are they? Is that They're the term? They're norms. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and norms. and how, how do you get a norm? Or what's involved in? You mentioned you went into the tournament. Is, is it like winning a an international tournament, or is it beating somebody at a higher level? Just just interested in that.
1: No, it's none of the. Well, it's it's related to that, but not necessarily uh, the only way. Okay, uh, say uh, you play in a competition. yeah a International competition, there has to be nine rounds. At least, right? Uh, not many. To- uh, nowadays, not many tournaments will be nine rounds. There could be five. There could be six, seven. It has to be nine. And
0: that's all okay. knockout, is it? Knockout rounds? No, no. Oh, um, like- ch-
1: in, in chess, knockout is not a very common format. We use a format called Swiss system when you have uh, a big group of players. Could be as big as I don't know. 600 people sometimes. Okay. Uh, And they all compete in one group. And you basically, if you do well, you play against people who also do well. So you always kind of compete, play against your rivals. Okay. And, but you play nine games. So if you play nine games, uh, that's one, one uh, requirement that it has to be no less than nine games. In those nine games, you have to play three grandmasters at least. So if you don't have three, you have two. That's not good enough. You you cannot get a norm there, no matter how good, uh, well you do. If you have three grandmasters uh, among uh, your opponents, they have to come from four different federations. So it cannot they cannot be from the same country, basically. Okay, so they have to be sort of international flavor to, to your opponents, okay? Then you have to look at their average rating and it has to be above certain level and you have to score a certain percentage of points depending on their level. So it's, it's all rather technical. Mm. But let's, mm. let's put it this way. Not every tournament you play, you have the opportunity to uh, make a norm. And when you have the opportunity... Sometimes you just don't make it, you know. So sometimes you uh, mess it up in the end. If even if you do well, you know, you maybe need to draw in the last round and you lose, or you need to win and you fail to do so. So it kind of took me five years to uh, uh, get the required three norms. In my case, it was three.
0: Mm. What would just two questions of that? I guess in your experience, how? From watching others, how quickly can somebody become a grandmaster? Is it conceivable that they could get it within a year, within six <laughs> months, or is oh, it-
1: absolutely not? <laughs> yeah uh, uh, you know, you you mean from uh, beginning, uh, start starting play chess.
0: Well, I guess any any suppose uh, any perspective of looking at it that, and this kind of goes back to that idea of the ten thousand hours and the practice. No matter how much maybe natural talent, if that exists, for somebody that they can't just rise to the top very quickly. What's the, the the fastest movers you've seen?
1: Well, okay. In that case, we probably need to look at kids because they, um, they kind of show how fast it could be done. Okay. So, uh, there are some really young players now who have this title. I think, um, I think there are a few guys who have like 14, 15, and they have the title of grandmaster that, to me, as an is a clear indication of uh, exceptionally, you know, uh, good talent at chess. So they they they're not just ordinary guys in in terms of their talent. They they are quite exceptional to to be able to do this at this age. Uh, let's say they probably started chess typically when they were like six, seven, something like this. So if somebody is 14 and started at six it still took them eight years to uh from the beginning till getting the grandmaster title mm-hmm. and we're talking about someone uh with really clear talent okay mm-hmm. so oh. that probably would would be a good indication mm-hmm. so you probably need at least 80, 80 years
0: right and that would probably tally up with you know spending seven or eight hours a day or or more sometimes for for um that is hard
1: to tell i think uh, i think if somebody is exceptionally talented and they spend that much time you know i would say maybe sky is the limit they can go very far uh there have been some examples of that in chess that there would be a grandmaster who would have uh exceptional sort of self-discipline or drive to work and some of sometimes they would, you know, really go to the top. Um uh however if you just spend time and you you don't have enough talent and talent is something which is chess talent is not easy to describe what it constitutes, uh then you will get better, there is no question. But there is also no uh no guarantee that you will become uh, a grandmaster. Maybe you can become an international master, that may be possible, but um, it, it really depends. I mean, I, I've i known some players who were talented, uh, really hardworking, did not become grandmasters. I mean, it, 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 it happens quite often. Mm.
0: From the people you've played with and got to know at that level, do you see common traits in the grandmasters that are obvious, or, or do you see very divergent types of people with different traits still making it to that that sort of level?
1: Uh, I think there are all, all kinds of you know people uh, play at that level. Uh, it, I don't think it would be possible to uh, sort of. F- come up with one stereotype. Um, Grandmasters, they come in all kind of forms and shapes. One thing is, one common trait, uh, most really strong players, they hate losing. Uh, A famous chess player, Boris Spassky, once said that chess is is a little death. So, to lose a chess is extremely painful because you have no one to blame. You know that in the end of the days, it was you who was kind of responsible for it. And uh, it's it psychologically can be very difficult. And a good player will do almost anything to avoid it. So uh, sometimes they say that a good player is not driven uh, as much by the desire to win. Than by the desire not to lose and then experience this kind of feeling, negative feeling again. So it's kind of, um, you know, the fear of this pain. Uh, certainly true. I mean, just good players really, really hate losing. That's, that's for sure. Uh, as for other qualities, they, they, they usually have kind of, mm um, they can visualize things, you know, the chessboard variations very well. I mean, you can't really do without it. And uh, how quickly they can do it and how quickly they can uh, process information, uh, I think that often determines the degree of talent. I mean, I've seen, I, I worked with uh, some players who were, extremely, extremely strong like, you know, top 10 in chess and this is one thing I kind of noticed. We often and usually come to the same conclusion eventually. The only difference is they come to this conclusion much faster than me.
0: Interesting. Very, very interesting. You mentioned your journey to get to Grandmaster and it took five years and I'm sure there was some frustrations maybe or some defeats and Sounds like you mightn't like to lose in, in some scenarios as well. How did you de- develop the resilience to keep going? How did you deal with those frustrations?
1: Well, I mean, it's part of part of the part of the deal really. You you know, you win some games you you don't always win and you know that. So um dealing with frustrations, you kind of <laughs> you you say to yourself "I'll, i'll i'll get them next time and you kind of walk harder usually uh in the short term you just need to kind of put it all behind so if if it's a game you lose usually i would go for a walk ideally somewhere near the water you know kind of a lake or a little creek or river or anything like this so uh just Clear your head, and you just get ready for the next game. Uh, in the long run, you, you you think that you kind of know that if you uh, if you keep doing it, you know if you keep doing something and you're reasonably good at this, it you, your luck will turn around and you you'll, you'll win some competition. So it's, um And often enough, you don't actually have that much time to kind of uh, uh, spend time theorizing about this. You just kind of get on with life at hand. Mm.
0: You mentioned the word luck there how does how, how much of a role does that have to play in your in success in, in in chess
1: Well chess is supposed to be a game of pure skill so in a way I don't think there is much element of luck but sometimes sometimes you kind of you know you people tend to look into this hard and they kind of see some luck good luck or bad luck luck. I remember there was one competition where uh I lost uh an important game in the last round, uh or no in the penultimate round. And then even had I won in the last round, I needed uh something incredible, something like nine results in games of my opponents go a particular way. You know, being like a draw win lose. Uh, in nine games i had to in each of them i had to, to have a particular result and chances that all nine would go that way are just you know close to zero but that happened. i got all of them right and i qualified to the next stage of the competition so you can you know call it luck you can kind of start looking deeper and think this is, you know, fate and stuff like this. But sometimes you get things like this. Uh, another thing, you know, life presents you with some opportunities. You know, you meet some someone who I remember I played in, um, in uh, Budapest. And at that stage, going to countries like Hungary was relatively easy. I mean, leaving Russia wasn't a problem already at that stage. But getting sort of invitations was not always easy. So I remember playing a game in Budapest. uh, uh, Played a game against a guy from Austria. Uh, We then went to analyze the game. This is kind of a custom in chess. You look at the game with your opponent, like compare notes and things like this. And we started chatting. So I was keen to practice my English and was just just basically curious about, uh, you know, life in Austria and things like this. So he said, why don't you come and play in, in, in Austria? I said, well, you know, I don't have any contacts there. I don't have any invitations. And he said, "Okay, I'll try to help you out." So he he got in touch with his friend in, in Vienna, and I got an in invitation to play in Austria. And uh, I I managed to get a visa to uh, to Austria in Budapest, which at that time was basically almost impossible you're supposed to go back to your country of origin so i was supposed to go back to russia and apply there but somehow i i must have been very pursued this way. So if i got that invitation so i went to austria i played in the tournament in vienna and um, uh, met a german guy there playing in the same tournament and he said well there is a, a small competition in my club in uh, in west berlin would you like to play there and I did this trick again. I applied for a visa, and and suddenly I got it. I mean, again, I was not supposed to get it, but I got it—a bit of luck. And I went to play in Berlin, and uh, so I went to Aus- uh, Budapest, but I actually went further to Austria than Germany, and went back through Poland. I mean, not some something I was not supposed to do. You know some, sometimes little things like this they there is a bit of element of luck you have opportunities you just you either take them or you don't so i guess in that case i was um active enough to kind of take take those
0: opportunities mm, good good story uh interesting how it all developed out emotions are obviously at the fore of all of us and when you're playing a game of chess how do you control emotions during a game, in game, and has that developed over time?
1: Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, emotions are important. Uh, it's not easy to control them. Um, the they they come in different sort of types and shade. It could be it could be despair, for example. You're in a difficult position, and you think, well, you know, it's it's over. And, uh, you just, you, you don't want to give in to that kind of emotion. Or another very dangerous emotion is kind of joy that you're winning and you think that, uh, it's, it's basically over and it's just formality and, uh, inexperienced players usually fall into this trap. So they, they just think that they're invisible, uh, invincible and, uh, they can, you know, they can do no wrong. And this is exactly the moment when usually people do something stupid. So, And uh, the game uh, which is won suddenly is lost and uh, what's the expression? You snatch uh, victory from the jaws of defeat? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, something yeah. like this. Yeah. So anyway, um, that is a very common emotion. I mean, I see it in kids a lot, of, uh, a lot because they they're new to all of this and if they if they're winning they think it's just over you know before uh while well, the game is in progress and they usually kind of pay the price okay so a lot of that is down to experience so you kind of you uh you live through certain situations they're uh typical they're standard and you kind of learn to re recognize those patterns you know the that if if you if I catch myself being a little bit too relaxed about the outcome of the game I just like give myself a mental kick and say kind of wake up it's uh, you've seen it before it may end up in tears um, sometimes uh, you get into this zone when you actually kind of stop caring about you know the, you just play the game that's the best situation uh, best condition but it doesn't happen too often to be honest but uh emotions yeah you you learn to, to deal with them you you cannot control them quite uh, completely but you you keep them sort of under control and a lot of that uh, comes with experience mm,
0: nothing like experience to uh to keep you uh focused the style of play that you've developed has has that been a conscious uh decision and how has that changed over over the the, the years
1: I don't think uh, anyone can really control their style of play. It's kind of a reflection of um, what they are good at, uh, what they like. Uh, I don't think you can you can change a little bit, but you cannot really control your, your style. So it's something you're kind of uh, almost you're born with, you know. Some people – it it boils down in just to um, the level of risk you you find acceptable, okay? Some people um, can like to attack. They can give away material easily, and they think it should be all kind of coming – it should be all kind of coming together in the end. Some people like to – Uh, collect materials so they like kind of more defensive players Um, it's not easy to you know to explain your own style I'm probably I I, I like kind of um, entertainment I guess in my games uh, my style of play at least in the opening can be rather uh, uh, risky and daring sometimes but um, at the same time it's uh, I have rather solid foundations, so it kind of sometimes I can be rather boring in my game. so I don't know. style is not something you you can correct uh, too much to be honest.
0: Mm. And when you're and playing shoot when you're playing against certain types of players, if, if they have certain sides, do you do you um find it easier? Have you better success against a certain type than others? Is that something that comes into it when you play chess
1: uh yeah yeah that can be very much the case um the uh there are two uh, ways of sort of looking at this and uh, dealing with this problem uh there are some people who say that we play against uh against pieces so we try to stay objective and we just try to find best moves no matter who is uh, sitting across the board um there are some players in that group. And oh, I remember there was a very uh, well-known book by famous Yugoslav grandmaster called uh, Svetazar Gligorich. And he called his book, uh, the, the collection of his best games, I play against pieces. So that was his kind of philosophy that I'm trying to play objectively. I'm trying to do best moves. And I don't really... Uh, adjust that much to uh, my opponents. Uh, however, I would think that, that more players um, do uh, take into the account who is sitting uh, across the table, and they kind of adjust their play somehow. I think Kasparov uh, wrote recently that uh, the one of the most important things in a chess player is not to show not to allow to show his opponent what he is capable of. So you're kind of trying to make life difficult for your opponent. You don't try, uh, you try not to allow them to be at their best. Okay. So, yeah, you can, um, you can, you can certainly take this into consideration when you play your, your game, when you plan what opening you play, what kind of type of game you try to get, you, you think about this. Uh, whether you always succeed uh, it's questionable I, I don't think you can always succeed sometimes uh, you know they can be you can play, plan all you like but the opponent is just stronger than you so you know that can be a pro- uh, the case quite often And but sometimes you, you get better results with that kind of planning you know you just don't always get the, the result you
0: want mm. and over the years of playing, have you, have you felt you've always continually improved? Have you kind of hit maybe roadblocks? And, and I suppose a third part of that is, do you constantly have to put that effort in day, week, month over on top to, to keep moving forward? I guess, is it, is there a continual upward trajectory of, of your, your, your development? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, um, it's hard to tell. They, they kind of used to say that for a chess player, the, uh, chess player would normally kind of pick around, uh, the age of 35 in the past. That was the belief. Uh, nowadays they say it's maybe, well, certainly younger, maybe 27, 28. They can, they're kind of saying maybe even younger for, um, this generation of class, so it, it constantly changes. So basically, you, uh, if you look at a young player, young player is working on the game, getting better, getting knowledge, getting experience, and it kind of goes up. But at some stage, um, other factors start, uh, taking its toll uh maybe motivation goes down a little bit maybe other things so basically you can reach your 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 peak and then you start a kind of a, a descent uh recently i read that um, magnus carlsen the the world champion uh is not sure that he uh is going to defend his title in the next match i mean he's undisputed number 1 in chess he's the you know the champion who is, sometimes it feels like head and shoulders above the rest, but for him to say something like this, well, maybe shows some lack of motivation, maybe uh, ultimately that will probably uh, bring him down with, with time, and maybe he will play um, less, uh, maybe stop playing, or maybe he will play worse. That's also possible. So, um I think there is a kind of a natural progression towards the, the peak and then you, you're you going to uh, go, go down, unfortunately, even if you keep walking. So you can slow that process. Some people uh, stay uh, uh, at their sort of near their top level for a very long time. Usually it's interesting. There is a rebound, sort of a, uh Indian summer.
0: Second coming. Know.
1: Yeah, exactly, Uh, and that's noticeable in many players. For example, uh, former world champion Vasily Smyslov uh, came very high up uh, again when he was in his 60s. I mean, uh, that was uh, very, very uh, noticeable. So it it can happen, but uh, you, you can't really say that I will walk and my results will always go up. Sometimes you need to run, you know, just to stay, uh, stay still. And sometimes even if you're running, you're actually going backwards a bit. So it's, 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 it's complicated enough. But in, in my own career, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, but I, I probably stopped, um, developing as a player some 20 years ago. Uh, because I had to do other things. Um, making a living being a chess player was not particularly easy, and I had my family to support. So I started uh, coaching. I started writing articles. I wrote a book. I, I did a lot of very different things in chess. So I kind of um, made a conscious decision to diversify. And unfortunately that came at the expense of my own sort of play. I stopped, stopped really working on my own game. So I, I keep playing. Even nowadays I play occasionally and I have a pretty solid sort of, uh, knowledge sort of background I can fall back on, but it's not quite enough to be honest. So, Uh, My example of uh, you know a chess player wouldn't be a very typical one. Uh, You know, I did not really work uh, five hours on my chess. I probably worked five hours a day on teaching other people and writing about chess, but that's that's not quite the same.
0: Mm, Very interesting. And and would you probably difficult to say, but would you say the best player now? Is is way better than the best player twenty years ago? Has it has the game continually moved on?
1: Uh, yeah, it's hard to tell. Um, uh, the, yeah, the general knowledge is definitely um, you know the general level is increasing. Uh, I can say that uh, if you take an average sort of club player, you know, sometime, someone who who studies chess from time to time plays in tournaments that club player is a lot stronger now than uh his counterpart would be 20 or 30 years ago there is no question of that uh as for the top level uh yes they're stronger uh, but you cannot say they're more talented. They just have, uh, you know, the latest developments kind of acquired and all of this. So, um, you know, I think uh, some of the greatest players of the past, you know, giving the time they uh, to acquire the same knowledge, they would be just as good as the best players now. So the level is, yes, it's higher, but it's not... It's mostly uh, down to kind of a bit of knowledge people acquired.
0: Mm. I'll just finish up with a couple of quick final ones, Alexander. Just the role of kind of technology and, and maybe even playing chess online, is that something grandmasters have a, a positive or a, a negative look on?
1: Uh, well, technology has changed uh, chess kind of dramatically, okay? So, uh, in many, many ways, uh, the first change came probably in early 90s. I remember, uh, like, getting my first uh, laptop computer, a chess program. I thought it was just absolutely fantastic. I think uh, my laptop had two megabytes of uh, disk space. I thought that was absolutely awesome. I sometimes uh, tell this story to kids I teach in uh, in schools, and they will look at me in disbelief. You know? <laughs> and uh, I would tell them that it was a very uh, expensive, uh, you know, piece of technology, but it could do certain things. It could I could uh, search for games played by other people very quickly. I could have information suddenly on my fingertips. Previously. You had to look at magazines. You had to kind of use some some kind of, a, you know, getting information was difficult. So learning was a much uh, slower process. Suddenly uh, learning uh, became more uh, accessible. It can be a, a good bit faster. So then came our programs called chess engines, uh, those who can play chess, and they can analyze, and you can look at your uh, games, and they will tell you where you went wrong, and etc. very quickly. And that's like having um, not quite a coach, but having someone who can actually sort of tell you about your mistakes very uh, quickly. It doesn't tell you what to do with that, that knowledge, but it, at least it's quite useful. So it's like a spell checker. If, you, if you're writing something, it will not tell you how to write like um you know dostoevsky but it will tell you that you're making you know three three mistakes in 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 a long word with one sentence so but that was very useful too it came with certain problems that um nowadays cheating is a bit of a is a serious problem in some competitions so people can basically access technology to kind of uh, not play themselves and, you know, avail of um, uh, help from, like, computers and stuff like this. So that that is a, a, an issue.
0: In real time, uh, in, in an actual physical game? Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, y- you know, uh, you can... <laughs> somebody can go to a toilet and uh, with a mobile phone in the pocket and uh, that mobile phone, I can tell you, can... <laughs> can um, play chess better than, um, than most people. So, uh, well, you can get access to kind of chess engines online, things like this. So uh, th- there are challenges. Let's put it this way. There are challenges. and um, But overall, it's been very positive, you know. And people can... Uh, can watch chess. Chess is not a TV sport, definitely not, because uh, it's too slow, and uh, you have to have the audience kind of uh, up to certain standard to appreciate what's going on. But on online, uh, it has it has its place. It has its niche, and uh, there are people watching tournaments live. They they can comment, you know, listen to commentary. Things like this, like podcast, live podcasts uh, for, uh, important tournaments, they're common. So yeah, in, in, in all in all, I think technology has been good to chess. It just kind of changed um, its um, its face and kind of its nature quite a bit.
0: Interesting stuff. So finally, maybe just to, to wrap up, what advice would you give to you know your amateur players that that really are keen to get better? What are the the key approaches or techniques or practices that they could put into place to really start improving
1: um well i would say i would suggest by uh do a bit of revision you know look at your own games uh so that's always a good idea maybe revise and review your games and see what are your weaknesses what are your strong points sometimes that kind of work isn't easy to to do on your own maybe talk to someone who is a bit stronger or more experienced going to a coach when possible is definitely a good idea because you, you might get a perspective you wouldn't get otherwise that that might be a good idea and then uh, make a plan and uh, usually you try to Kind of you know try to sort of fix your most obvious weaknesses and kind of rely on your strong points, so I don't th- think you need to do too much work. It's more important to be kind of consistent to do a bit of work uh, on a regular basis, um, studying uh, positional thing things, maybe getting a book or two reading. So there is a lot of information out there online. Uh, sometimes you can, you know, find find that online. Uh, you know, it's it's really down to using your time efficiently. Uh, uh, and um, there are different approaches. I would say uh, talk to someone who has ex- more experience than you. Maybe a better chess player. Maybe a professional coach it's it, it would be you know worthwhile doing this you know it's kind of hard to improve uh, looking uh, at your own game from just your own perspective sometimes you need um, another kind of point of view
0: mm. I think so and I think not just in chess but in, in anything on anything
1: yes exactly but I would say with a bit of time uh, with um, with effort, you can actually uh, do. A lot you can improve at any age i believe in that uh how far you can go you know nobody can tell you but certainly you can improve your current uh, current level of play if you put a bit of work and if you if you know how to work on your chest if you kind of have some structure in your work you you will probably do better than you know you would uh, do otherwise you know so you need to kind of have a plan as one of the uh, famous chess players said uh, a bad plan is better than no plan so
0: (laughs) exactly i believe so Um, my background is in project management and planning is key and i found that to be very helpful not just in work but in even in, in endeavors like podcasting you know if you don't put the planning in and uh have some targets and goals to hit, you're probably a bit more uh, aimless and and random. So very true. Alexander, it's been fascinating. I really enjoyed uh, talking with you. Thanks so much for giving the time up and um, how can folks get in touch with you? You do offer coaching, I believe as well, right? So,
1: Um, yeah, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, Just search for uh, Alex or Alexander Baburic. Um, we, i'm i'm based in dublin so getting like my contact details isn't uh, isn't uh, difficult i'm not hiding or anything so get in touch via email it's uh baburin at gmail.com uh you can ask me questions about chess and you know i'll do my best to help
0: Brilliant. I'll, uh, I'll share those out and put them onto the notes of the podcast episode. Alexander, thanks again so much. Good luck with your own continued play and, and getting that other Grandmaster in Ireland to that level. Uh, exciting.
1: Yes. That's Sam Collins, my uh, former student and a very good friend of mine, Sam Collins from uh, Monkstown in Dublin and hopefully he will be um, the first Irish born Grandmaster, although he has To watch his back because there are quite a few talented young players who will be getting to that standard. So he uh, he can't relax.
0: (laughs) Yeah, these things
1: speed speed up a bit.
0: These things don't come easy for sure. Hard work is definitely needed. Brilliant, Alexander. Thanks again. I really appreciate it. Look forward to sharing it out. My pleasure. Thank Uh, you. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. Okay. Bye. Good luck. Bye. Bye. So this is the outro of the podcast, guys. You got to the end, and that is great. Please hang in here for another couple of minutes. I know most people won't, but maybe there's something here of interest. So check this out. First off, thanks so much for listening to this one, as well as maybe the hundred or so that's gone before it. Why not check them out if you haven't already? There's lots of good stuff in there. The whole podcasting journey for me has been a huge learning, and I'm trying to help you guys learn and improve as well. So much has changed over the last few years since I started it, I've really realized lots of the goals that I put out there and then realized so many unexpected benefits as well. And I think anytime you take on action towards a goal, you're going to pick up lots of things that you didn't expect along the way. And hopefully they're good things. In this particular episode, was there any one or two things that jumped out? Maybe you could take a pen and paper out right now because this is something that you might think of during the episode but never do. Do it now. Take it out. Write down a goal that you're going to set yourself as a result of something you learned from this episode. Put a plan in place and then work towards it. Applying yourself deliberately over time. Take ownership. Build a habit. Improve. Get 1% better. Share accountability with somebody you know in a buddy system and learn and grow and improve. That's what it's all about. That's my hopefully... Inspirational piece done. Other areas to note check out the website rubofthegreen.ie. You can consume everything there for free. There is obviously the podcast, there's video, One Minute Monday clips, there's articles. Uh, not enough, but I'd like to put more there. If you're interested in putting one there, let me know. And there's a Get Better app page, which I'm starting to add new content over time there's a feedback page if you want to email me rob at robofthegreen.ie instead but it's all about trying to engage you and get you to a place of improvement so i'm open to feedback as i said ways you can help me is by following me on the socials at robofthegreen.ie is the website or at robofthegreen and all the social platforms subscribe to the podcast on any of the apps that you might listen to it on talk about it Tell a friend about it. Tell your family members about it. Share some of the ideas, not only to your friends, but to me. Is there anything I can improve upon? Sign up to the newsletter. That's there as well. I'm experimenting again with a group called Slack, Rob of the Green on Slack. This is really for a shared accountability environment and sharing ideas. You can sign up to that on the website as well. All of this is obviously all free, but there is also an option where you could subscribe to my Patreon site and make a small donation for the content that we do. It's there. It's totally up to you. Everything that is coming in through that or could come in through that will go into making the podcast better. So to close, I am always trying to improve. And get better change is difficult i know that but it's all about taking the first step learning something applying yourself moving forward you can do this i've been able to improve pushing myself outside the comfort zone learning and i think if i can do it so can you don't overreach don't set yourself unrealistic goals one percent at a time is enough but it's all about starting and that will bring you on your pursuit of betterness to a great place. Thanks for sticking to the very end. Talk to you next time and take care. Good luck.